Hey, welcome to Info Under the Radar, the show where we talk with an expert to simplify everyday ideas, concepts, and subjects that surround us. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Info Under the Radar. I'm your host, Vishwajit. And I'm Devendra. And today we are talking about artificial intelligence, which is a very interesting topic, not just uh, in the in technical world, but rather in everyone's daily life. Mm-hmm. And we are going to hear more about it in detail, how and why AI is becoming more and more popular these days. I mean, I have a personal bias towards it. But before that, we also have a very special guest who's joining us for this conversation. Uh, we have Dr. Shivani Shah with us. She happens to be in a very special position. Uh, she has experience in artificial intelligence from academia, and now she has also co-founded a company. We'll get back to it later. Um, but on my front, uh, I study artificial intelligence myself. Uh, I'm a master's student. So this topic is of particularly interest to me mm-hmm. because I need to earn my bread and butter out of it at some point in life. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So we talked about a lot of stuff. Yeah, and and I think uh, before we went into the somewhat technical things, we started with how artificial intelligence is already affecting our day-to-day life. Consciously or subconsciously, we are already using it uh, in our lives. And uh, I mean, when you go on Amazon or the way they arrange supermarkets in general, all of these you might have seen. Mm-hmm. Um, or and... when you are searching on Google, in fact, that mm-hmm. is also using AI. Or mm-hmm. my favorite example is uh, every day I use Alexa. I mean, mm-hmm. even my alarm is mm-hmm. now controlled by Alexa and Alexa uses a lot of artificial mm-hmm. intelligence behind the scene. Mm-hmm. So apart from Alexa, whatever that was mentioned, we discovered that the proper name for that is a recommender system. We also busted some common little misconceptions that are there around some words that are used synonymically, which are AI or artificial intelligence, uh, automation, machine learning, deep learning, and data science. Um, Not to delve much into it, but uh, we define clearly like, okay, that where exactly do we draw the borders Mm -hmm. uh, so that it's clear next time you read a news article or something that what exactly is happening where. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do mention uh, a lot of technical terms as we go a little bit deeper into that. We discuss a bit about what are the various fields within artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. So just say, for example, that we talked about uh, ML and DL and machine learning and deep learning, and they are different. Okay. I mean, if you're thinking that why are we uh, going into technical details of AI, if you are not coming from a technical background, you might think, ah, this is not useful for me. There is a reason behind it, why we are doing it. Because as we mentioned earlier, AI is affecting everyone's life. Like it or not, it's going to replace a lot of jobs. We are also going to talk about that later in our episode with our guest. And we also just, when we talk about fears of AI that you just mentioned, the fears are something that are very rational and we do understand it. And Mm -hmm. we do address that uh, during the show as well, that Mm -hmm. we know that all of us who are talking about it are in a privileged position. And there are some rational fears about your jobs being taken, but then there are also some irrational fears. So gaining knowledge about it kind of helps us differentiate and be aware about it and be our own judge in our daily life. I mean, we spend uh, 
good amount of time addressing certain fears related to AI mm-hmm. because ultimately AI will replace certain jobs. But yeah. there are some of the things which people like, for example, Elon Musk are putting out there, things like AGI, which is artificial general intelligence. You don't need to know what it is. Yeah. Uh, you are going to listen to it later on in the episode as well. But basically people like Elon are saying this is one of the biggest thing we have to worry about as humanity. Some of it is too exaggerated mm-hmm. uh, in our opinion, and you will hear why. So it's very important to understand, okay, what are the real fears for, let's mm-hmm. say, coming decade or two? And what are something which are very far in the future? And also taking a stance at understanding why would someone like Elon say something like that? Mm-hmm. It's not coming out of something random, but maybe there is some there's something behind. So what we want is, it's very important that we just... Mm-hmm. present a very neutral point of view mm-hmm. because to me people like Elon are maybe not the best people to hear about AI from mm-hmm. but ultimately they have massive following and which is okay and also this podcast or this episode is not about Elon unless <laughs> he joins us but then in that case it has to be about if Elon him. you are listening you are anytime welcome on our <laughs> podcast <laughs> but you mentioned artificial general intelligence we'll also touch upon uh, another uh, terms that are used in the same domain, which mm-hmm. is strong and weak AI. Right. Um, I mean, we also went and talked about sort of a black box nature of deep learning. Yeah. When it comes to black box nature that you right. mentioned, I am in the majority of people who are researching in the field who mm-hmm. at some point don't really understand why a certain artificial intelligent or a rather deep learning model is doing what it is doing. Right. We can explain it sometimes but we cannot really interpret mm-hmm. why did it do certain yeah. things. And that's one of the uh, area of research uh, Correct. happening. And even Shivani, our guest mentioned that there are a lot of PhD students in France working on it. But again, don't want to throughout digress. Throughout the globe rather, like it's it's a more like throughout the globe, a mm-hmm. lot of people are working interpretable and explainable AI. Right. Um, however, when we talk about black box nature of something and something that is impacting a lot of lives, the onus lies upon us to also understand the ethical aspects of it. Um, I mean, we talked about black box nature and mm -hmm. ethics Mm -hmm. because we ultimately also touched on everyone's favorite topic, (laughs) self-driving car, especially for people uh, like us, both of us, we are living in Munich, which is Mm -hmm. an automotive capital, at least in Europe. So Mm -hmm. there is a lot going on in the field of self-driving car. So we went into several levels of self-driving. We mentioned, I think, L1 to L5. Which is where, yeah, I'll correct myself that I mentioned in the podcast that uh, the levels are L1 to L5. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're actually L0 to L5. Right. Uh, Being a computer science student, I should have known that counting starts from zero. (laughs) (laughs) But either way, we'll put it in the show notes if you want to discover more what do these levels mean. In short, L0 is what you're currently, if you're driving manually your car, that's L0. And if you do not need even a steering wheel in your car, that's L5. Congratulations. You have unlocked a new level in your life. And and all the Tesla fans, Mm -hmm. technically Tesla is L2, but they're very close to L3. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then... Besides self-driving, we also delve into the future of artificial intelligence, right? Correct. I mean, we talked a lot about fears related to it, and some of them are legit, for mm-hmm. sure. But then we also touched upon why people like Devendra, why people like Shivani are mm-hmm. building companies mm-hmm. and then spending their day-to-day life studying and working about it. I mean, we touched about how agriculture 4.0 will be affected by artificial intelligence. Yeah. So, for example, farming can massively 
uh, be revolutionized be revolutionized exactly mm-hmm. by uh, by harnessing power of artificial intelligence uh, along with other technologies of course because mm-hmm. uh, it has to be a synergy of lot of things working yeah, of together course. when it comes to physical world we talk about deep fakes you mm-hmm. might have heard of it already otherwise uh, we'll put another small video uh, link in the description where you can go and see but deep fake is basically simply speaking it's mm-hmm. just a video mm-hmm. uh, let's say of obama ex president of us mm-hmm. which he never made mm-hmm. let's say it was a video actually of trump but someone puts face of obama mm-hmm. in a way that i as a viewer not able to distinguish if obama actually said it mm-hmm. or it was actually trump who said it if mm-hmm. that makes sense. so it's a basically political nightmare in this example <laughs> <laughs> yep that but uh well, well deep fakes also has a lot of stuff uh it's one of the application we also talk about something that is very near and dear to me mm-hmm. which is the application of artificial intelligence in healthcare i mentioned a very specific topic about um surgical time prediction in real time uh, more during the episode you will get to hear more about it mm-hmm. um other than that i mean one thing we also mm-hmm. talked about how educational education can be revolutionized with help of artificial intelligence especially mm. at a primary level because right now every student study the same exact thing irrespective of their interest irrespective of their abilities but with ai we can also personalize education just the way your netflix right. recommendation is personalized mm. so to me that future is very fascinating and be honest like personalization is relevant for everyone because every individual mm. is different from other that's why a current education system does not necessarily all makes everyone successful right mm-hmm. so uh, if a education for you is made just for yourself mm-hmm. and it's very centric to your abilities your likeness your goals in future etc yeah. etc yeah so it's like just like most things in life one size fits all is not the right motto and exactly. ai might help alleviate that mm-hmm. we touch upon shivani's journey which is also of particular interest and might be of interest to quite a lot of you because she has made her name in what is predominantly a male dominated field mm-hmm. uh, in a in a country that is not native to her i mean she is a female entrepreneur so yeah. she lives in paris mm-hmm. and she was mentioning that as a founder of a company she has to raise money and yeah. then she mentioned that only 2% of vcs venture capital uh, yeah. cap- capitalists are females. females so it's very different when you enter a room and mm-hmm. a lot of time they don't even expect you to be the uh, the founder correct so so it's very interesting to see and also in a way makes me sad mm-hmm. that even now in 2021 mm-hmm. that there is such a big discrimination in our our field like in technology which supposed to be very hippie very open like that's how the idea of internet yeah. everything started yeah. but this would bring us to setting up the stage for our guest mm-hmm. which is to introduce her properly uh, all the more than she did i would not be able to cover a lot of what she has done but just to put it a little in brief our guest dr shivani shah happens to have a lot of feathers in her head Mm-hmm. uh we, we all did bachelors from the same college yeah. and then she went on to do her masters from uh, grenoble france and then she did her phd in artificial intelligence in biology and metagenomics and then now she has 
in from 2019 she has co-founded a company by the name of sam that builds digital twins for industrial facilities mm -hmm. so yeah we are very excited to introduce all of you to our guests for the show but before that uh, just a brief note you could as always find show notes in the description mm -hmm. you if you find any questions any queries suggestion comments you can always reach out to us on our uh, social media our, so, as you said on instagram we are info under the radar mm -hmm. uh, on youtube you can just search info under the radar you can also find clips of the show there mm -hmm. and on twitter it's info under radar there is no the unfortunately twitter has a character limit mm -hmm. uh, but we would be putting out some clips uh, as usual for this show and our future shows. So if you don't have time, you can always check them out, get a taste of it and then jump back. And of course you can always jump around with our timestamps. So feel free to jump around. And at this point we would start. So we would welcome Shivani. We want to first welcome Shivani. Hi, Shivani. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing well. <laughs> yeah, as you know, our topic uh, is very interesting today. I mean, of course, for you, you work on this topic, but also for, I guess, everyone around the world, everyone hears about AI, artificial intelligence. And yeah, as we promised to our audience in the first part of our, our description that we are going to debunk certain things. But before we go into the technical part of AI and how you, someone like you, who is an entrepreneur working with AI every day, we are going to talk more about AI in everyday life. So for example, someone like me uh, who uses uh, Alexa at home or uh, use a lot of social media, I, having some technical background, I already know that I am uh, using artificial intelligence in my day-to-day -day life. So can you give us some more examples where we are already using artificial intelligence knowing and unknowingly? Um, yeah, sure. So one of the few examples I can give is, for example, in web search. So every time you do a web search query, um, in order to give you the best results, you're having artificial intelligence in the back, uh, which is uh, helping you get the right links. Um, for example, a lot of uh, things on the phone have to do with the photographs. For example, the face detection that you want to do can be artificial intelligence. And um, what else? A lot of recommendations that you get, like if you're going on a website to shop something, uh, mm -hmm. you get a set of um, other uh, things that you could buy, right? right? So that also is uh, in the back uh, artificial intelligence, yeah. So, mm -hmm. so you are saying that when I go on Amazon, and then I buy, for example, whiskey, then all the five whiskeys, which it shows is also somehow related to artificial intelligence. Yeah, so if I give you an idea is that um, somebody who buys this type of whiskey, they know that this person also would like this type of whiskey based on the previous customers that they've had and the purchasing habits that they've had. So they use all of this data to provide you a recommendation. So this whole system is actually called recommendation systems. This is also something similar that happens in a retail store, you know, or a big supermarket. Like when you go there, sometimes some objects are like are placed next to the other one mm -hmm. because they know that uh, these uh, customers are going to have these type of purchasing habits. So either it could mm -hmm. depend on the type of products you're buying, the similarity between them or something more complementary, you know. So it's something that we know as humans that, okay, if you're going to go and uh, buy some lights, you're going to need batteries next. Mm -hmm. So we know this, but when we have like thousands of, uh, let's say, things to sell, 
in that case, it becomes a bit of a combinatorial problem. So that's that's where also they could use these type of systems to um, help uh, you know sell their products more by just changing certain things in the in the in the store basically. Yeah. So on the same line, like YouTube algorithm would also be considered one pretty yeah, much on the same exactly. lines. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and uh, there's something happening these days. It's called personalization. Mm -hmm. So it's not only about uh, their previous habits of similar customers, but they're also looking at your own habits. So let's say if you have an account on a certain website and you have visited this website a couple of times, um, they are also making sure that the recommendations they give you are personalized to your own taste every single time. And it goes to a level of like, how long are you going to keep a mouse on a certain object? You know, they analyze this uh, level of detail sometimes to uh, personalize your experience. That sounds scary. So, it sounds cringy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's data, right? So you can do things with that. Yeah. But like, why is it suddenly so popular, right? So like, if you take back 10 years ago, this wasn't happening that much. I mean, YouTube was there, of course. YouTube has been there for like 16 to 17 years. But this, all of these all the products, all the recommendations barging on, on any website that I visit. Why is it suddenly that AI has become so popular? Like, is it a field that just evolved and we have come to know about it or? Um, apparently not. Um, having an artificial intelligence is uh, something more than a decade, much more than a decade old, you know, for a couple of decades, we have been trying to solve this. Um, okay, let's look at a bit of a history and then uh, see why it has, uh, we have an explosion in it right now. So originally, um, like scientists and philosophers, they've been trying to work on something called artificial uh, general intelligence, which basically means that you want the machines to have the cognitive abilities of a human, which is basically learning, decision-making, uh, understanding, perception, reasoning. So all of these type of concepts. So if you want to talk about artificial intelligence, it's like anytime you enable a machine to do this, it's an artificial intelligence. So basically there's a, a generic agent which responds to the changes in the environment and takes decisions based on that. So it can be something as simple as a thermostat, which changes the temperature depending on the environmental temperature. You know, this is also in that definition, uh, let's say it's an artificial intelligence system basically. But there are a lot of different fields to this. So the perception one would be working a lot more on uh, how we see things. That's the computer vision side, also the speech part. So how do we understand the text and the language, uh, anything to do with language, you know? So that's the NLP part, which is natural language processing. So there are extremely wide range of applications is because of that, because you're trying to copy the cognitive abilities. So, so, so you, you, uh, you mentioned something very interesting. And before we go into, let's say, into the weeds of uh, AI with NLP and some other fancy buzzwords, which we hear. You 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 used a term called artificial general intelligence, yes. and this or AGI. This has been kind of getting popular in the news, mm -hmm. especially in last few years, because there is a guy known as Elon Musk, <laughs> and he is talking a lot about how AGI is something to be very fearful of. This will be one of the biggest challenge for humanity, and there is almost like a fear. In, in, uh, induced by not just Elon, but people like him. And of course, there are so many millions of people who look up to people like Elon, right? So what do you tell them that how much should we worry about something like AGI? <laughs> um, okay, so I would say on this topic that um, 
AGI is something that we are very, very, very far from achieving, right? When Elon Musk says it's dangerous, it's because he has a vision that none of us have, which is of at least a couple of hundreds of years, he's looking ahead, you know? So looking ahead that many decades, yes, it could be dangerous because it becomes so powerful of what it can be done with, right? But right now, the current scope and something that we will achieve in a couple of next upcoming decades is something on the side of not the general intelligence, which is also called as strong AI, but mm -hmm. more on the other side, which is called weak AI. So the difference between the two is that the strong AI has a capacity of uh, intelligence of a human, right? So this should also involve consciousness, I mean, self-awareness and also emotions. Now, the current existing systems do not exhibit this. And these systems can should work in any given situation or any given context, which is also not true for the current AI systems. What we are really getting good at right now is weak AI, which is basically task specific. So okay. you build an AI system to solve a certain task and uh, it works well on that. Whether you use the data to do it or not, or what approach you take is secondary, but as long as it is task specific- Can you give an example weak of weak AI? Pretty much everything that we do. For example, um, let's say um, we want to find, we want to build a system that will detect faces in a picture. So this is a very specific problem. This system cannot do anything beyond that, right? Even if it works to the best possible accuracy, it won't do anything beyond that. You want a system to recommend you um, what is the most suitable movie for you on Netflix. And this system does only that because it is so highly most of the times data dependent that it will not go beyond that so good rule of thumb with current systems is that whatever you feed data to it that's the capacity it has so that is the example of a task oriented ai or not a and not a general ai you know yeah but in the in the task specific or weak ai that you mentioned it's it's quite easy to imagine that how would i measure it that how the progress is going right like in the say if I have a system that you define that can identify pictures, and I can say whether it can, does it identify a dog as a dog or it's as a cookie? So I know how right or wrong that is. But when you talk about strong AI, you said it should have the capabilities of a human. Do researchers even themselves know how are we even going to measure it by any extent? Um, okay, I'm not sure if I have like, very good answer to that but um, what I would say is the way I see researchers progressing these days is that they take a, a section of weak AI and they identify the limitations with it and they can they try to see how they can push and make it more generalized you know mm -hmm. for example um, so slowly slowly if we start pushing the generalization capacities of the systems we may reach the AGI at some point, but I don't know, you know, so it's something uh, none of us knows, but yeah. um, the, the generalization is a very important task. I'll give you an example of this. For example, if I train a system just to identify cats and dogs, yeah, but if I can use this uh, already learned information by the system to do some other identification like how can I use the already learned information to, to detect not cats and dogs, but something more like, uh, you know, Pokemons or, mm -hmm. uh, or a product and a picture, you know? So this is a way to push the generalization capacities basically, yeah. Okay, I mean, I, I think b b because 
what I am hearing is, okay, in the near future, we are far from AGI and that's what my understanding is as well. Yeah. Uh, but do you think that's like the ultimate goal of the domain you work with or Devendra, you are studying, so you are <laughs> spending a lot of your day-to-day -day, uh, work and, and life basically in this domain, right? So is that like the ultimate goal to reach to the level of AGI? Would you say that's the goal? It depends on the individual, yeah. So let's say if I am a person uh, working at uh, Facebook on a machine learning team, my objectives are very, has to be very much aligned with uh, what I do with um, do at my company. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But then you have professors who are working in general more on um, generic concepts and um, they are trying to have a long term vision and to see um, what can be improved but um honestly i'm not sure how how close we are even to agi at all you know mm -hmm. so i think going to agi using existing algorithms and frameworks may not be possible so you actually need to come up with new frameworks mm -hmm. and understanding and designing of the systems to achieve that and even whether even if it's possible or not we don't know so so would you say that uh, the the fear which people have related to AI, is that not a real fear? So I'm talking about, let's say for coming decade or two, since you said, and I, I agree with you that we are very far from AGI. So in your experience working in this field, do you think the fear which humans have around it that robots mm -hmm. will come and overtake humanity, your your microwave oven might kill you one day. So, so you know, how real is those fear? I think Hey, this is going to be a bit controversial, my but my opinion is that this fear is the fear of unknown, yeah, mm -hmm. that we all humans have in one form or the other. So it's something that's happening because we have no idea how it could evolve. But um, at the current state, AI is nothing more than other, any other tool, right? You can have a tool, you can use it to either kill people or save people, like... Mm -hmm. I, I can have a scissor, I can use it to, uh, you know, perform an operation, but at the same time, I can use it to kill somebody. So it's, it's like um, the kind, the way humans will use these tools will determine uh, how this is. So it's like social with. media right now. You can use it for both productive or destructive purposes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So at the end of the day, um, human ethics, human choices, if we don't work on that, um the the awareness of the human the individual itself um we, we can fall into the problem but this is the solution to a lot of other things right not just ai becoming dangerous i would say mm -hmm. yeah but you touch upon an interesting point that it it might be easy to agree upon some basic ethics in the ai however when individuals work they work on the level of morals not ethics so that's when uh, the difference to me comes in like a group of people to whom defending their country is the most important thing. They would develop artificial intelligent bots and in their head, they're doing right by saving their soldiers' lives. Mm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but in theory, that fear now, this is not even an unknown. This is a very known thing that I'm seeing right in front of me and I know what harm it can do. But even on that front, I, I, it's just, it's just another opinion on the horizon that that fear could be quite real. However, the more rational fear to a more regular person to me that time and again has bounced off my uh, ears is that the fear that their jobs would be taken away. Mm. The people who are yeah. driving cabs, they think that self-driving cars are going to take their jobs. 
how much rationality is it in that or not just self driving car but in general mm-hmm. um actually that's a very real fear for sure like mm-hmm. and but this is the rule of a market right like when machines were invented the jobs that were done by hands uh, no longer existed so this is the way the evol- market evolves basically and as the technologies come come like come we need to adapt ourselves to it otherwise we become redundant to provide any, like to contribute anything so it's a real fear because it's going to happen uh mm-hmm. we are going to okay so when computers came we removed the repetitive jobs now um there are a lot of manual jobs that are little more complex they will also go away but um at the same time we need to accept this change and and like empower ourselves or you know retrain ourselves of how to fit into the changing job market because uh, that's how it will um, right. it's not something we can stop right right now i have very uh, i feel like we are in a privileged position to say that we have to accept the change right i mean frankly speaking we are all uh, working in in technology companies and for especially for you two you are literally working on the field so you are helping that field grow in some way so for sure it's very easy for you to say right but what what about the guy who is literally diving the uh, driving the cab he don't have time to retrain himself that's what he has done his entire life so what about the people in the transition phase what what do you think it's going to look like because so you you are totally right we have seen that during industrial revolution as well right so we are all sitting in europe this is where industrial revolution started uh, a couple of hundred years ago and then of course people started losing job uh, but the, the automation was not at that scale which can happen with computers or ai or whatever you want to call it i don't have exact answer or a solution for that person but i would say um, but i don't agree with the part where you said that the num- amount of jobs that ai will take away are more than what happened during industrial revolution the reason being um we are changing the job not removing the jobs so most of the ai systems that we have today has mm-hmm. human in the loop because we need a lot of uh, manual verification like if i'm making a system uh, identifying you know equipments on an industrial site uh, i cannot make a mistake there so we will need a human in the loop to verify every decision that humans take for example uh, doctors are diagnosing uh, when they're diagnosing different patients they are using ai to help make the decision but the final decision would be by humans yeah and also when we are building these ai systems there is a large amount of data that is being annotated especially when you are working with supervised methods so most of these companies are actually um employing hundreds and thousands of workers uh of Uh, to annotate these data sets you know they are but at this jobs. point in time right because they are at the same time they are training their algorithms are improving <laughs> at the same time so that they can get rid of these people and if you look at facebook how many content uh, moderator uh, moderation people they needed is decreasing over the years because at the same time they are training their data sets or whatever and at the same time they are increasing efficiency of their algorithms so to me of course uh we cannot change that but i also think that we will have to think when i say we more 
the the politician heads of states then normal people will have to think about new type of jobs right for the people in the transition people who don't have any technical abilities uh, very true that we need to identify more at the state level the jobs that are getting redundant the kind of people it will affect and what can be given to them uh, as a livelihood i think uh, that can definitely provide the solution yeah and also not to paint again a tool in one light right so it's it has like it's like a knife mm-hmm. it works both ways for a surgeon and for a murderer that's true so there are advantages of the field as well i think in my opinion i think that's what motivates me to study so like for me personally like it's helping in climate crisis by giving providing more data and predicting better so there is a good positive side to it what is it for you like what is the positive thing about the ai that is motivating you to study although we know that we are going to take some jobs if we go by that statement i think personally speaking it would be the possibility the kind of things it can do is incredible the kind mm-hmm. of applications we can have is incredible so this is extremely exciting uh, to mm-hmm. actually be part of this you know Yep. is it like a space exploration for you guys because the way you <laughs> said the possibility this is what i thought about the first thing as as mm-hmm. somewhat somewhat of a space enthusiast myself i always like the idea that what we can do right people people don't go to for example mount everest because there is something at the top to achieve it's just because we can right humans want Absolutely. to do things yeah 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 mm-hmm. Funnily enough, I wanted to become astronaut when I was young, so this <laughs> <laughs> may explain the mindset. Yeah. Then how did you end up here doing AI? What's the story well, behind this? The story is that um, I did not uh, get into the aeronautical engineering, but uh, mm-hmm. then I went on with the computer science. I think in our university we had the choice to choose the field. It, it seems exciting, so I continued with that, mm-hmm. and. to specifically say how i ended up in ai is that when i came to france um my my field of study was completely different something more like human computer interaction and uh, those type of subjects uh but we didn't have enough students so so they forced us into machine learning <laughs> courses um well, but it 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 went well you know i like the courses i did the internship in it i ended up doing phd in it because it was uh, pretty interesting and here we are working in it yeah so like ai has taken your job in some way as well right like you started off with a different human computer interaction <laughs> well, and it because... was more the pop- no no it was more the popularity of ai i would say because uh, most mm-hmm. of the students opted for this option and not the human computer interaction so yeah mm-hmm. okay <laughs> okay it's completely stochastic yeah <laughs> no. but you have put it in very in very simple terms but i would like to highlight it a bit more for anyone who's listening out of india and stuff uh, all three of us belong to the same university we uh, shivani is a senior and uh, we did it from a college in jaipur uh, and from there coming all the way to paris and being able to found her own company she has put it in a very modest way but it wasn't really as plain and straightforward a journey <laughs> as she's portraying for sure yeah so there has been a lot of work that has gone behind that and it's it's truly admirable to just see that um yeah but coming back to the topic we were talking about ai taking jobs and all of that before we went into this there are certain terms that i've seen i used synonymically but they mean different to someone who has studied them like you yeah right? yeah yeah like 
to me uh, robotics and augmentation like whenever they show a picture of ai they show a humanoid robot and the brain <laughs> has some wires coming up. i'm like i in my entire life i can work for like 20 30 years of career and there's a good possibility i'll never touch a humanoid <laughs> yeah so there are certain terms that uh, and vishwajit you may add if i miss some of them so are mm-hmm. being confused one is ai with robotics and augmentation then machine learning deep learning i use free handedly then there is data science and if if i miss something if you no i i think you meant automation not augmentations oh sorry my bad or uh, robotics and automation yeah 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 okay uh, okay let's take them one by one yeah so artificial intelligence um, is something as i mentioned before uh, any kind of uh, action that a machine can perform which uh, represents a human cognitive capacity can be called a artificial intelligence system now when you say machine learning it's actually a subset of ai it's a set of um, uh, methods that act- uh, uses um, existing data and optimization techniques to um, learn and perform certain tasks so machine learning is actually a subset of uh, artificial intelligence which is very much dependent on the data then we have deep learning deep learning is another subset of machine learning uh, we didn't talk about deep learning much maybe you can uh, elaborate it a bit forward mm-hmm. um but it's uh, in in case of deep learning um what we have is like it's a specific model uh, with like billions of parameters and you try to capture or learn the information of the data and store them in these parameters that's what the model training is basically and so that's the deep learning part now if you want to talk about data science data science is more like um all the group of uh, studies that can be applied on a data so that includes statistics uh, mathematics uh, machine learning um domain knowledge because we need a lot of domain knowledge to work on any kind of data for example if i'm working with dna or some species you need to know biology right so the domain knowledge also is part of data science actually so you can uh, break down pretty much like this yeah so can can you give us example of so i think i followed all the one uh, all the explanations except the one for deep learning i'm not sure if i understood it deeply pardon mm-hmm. my fun <laughs> okay so um deep learning is basically uh, one uh, approach um uh, of uh, machine learning in which what we have is um we have these um, small units of um, neurons so basically if we give history of deep learning it comes from um it was originally supposed to be inspired from a human uh, the way humans learn mm. and um it doesn't reflect that uh, a lot anymore but um, it, that was the original inspiration mm-hmm. um it's actually something very simple let's say if i have a certain line drawn in a in a space in a 2d space it basically divides the space into two parts right so it's basically an equation and let's say i have an equation with x plus y equals to 4 so there are two parameter uh, two parameters here x and y and the constant 4 so i just have two parameters and i draw this line in space basically i'm dividing the space into two sides right mm-hmm. so similarly there are let's say if you uh, couple these small equations this type of small equations um in a in but thousands and billions 
thousands to billions of them together at the same time. You will have so many parameters, basically. Now, um, so this all these parameters together uh, is a deep learning system. It's a deep learning model, basically. Now you show this model a lot of data and you use a, 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 train, a training. So you use this to train the model. Basically, you optimize these parameters for the data. Um, so this is basically uh, how deep learning works. I can maybe paint a little bit uh, of a very naive and possibly wrong to deep learning researchers a picture, just so that the image is clear of the, right. if the equations and something are not something that you vibe with. Mm -hmm. Let's say, for example, on the ground, if I lay down a lot of open match boxes, okay. hundreds or two hundreds of them. Mm -hmm. But on top of that, I uh, somehow have hanged a lot of bars mm -hmm. in different angles. Like one is going diagonally, one is vertically, one is some other angle, but there are like hundreds of them. Mm -hmm. Now from the top, I drop a ball. Depending on which rod it strikes, which angle it deviates, it would fall on a particular matchbox. Right. So that's why I've classified that, okay, this is where this ball belonged. Okay. This is what the neural networks in general try to do in one way, that they have a certain alignment depending on what data that you give. Mm -hmm. And then they tend to assign it to a certain probability box, as we call it. So okay. this is what somewhat should paint a picture of what is happening. This is far from reality, mm -hmm. but just to get, maybe you can correct me if I if I said you want to look at uh, look at the functionality of it is mm -hmm. basically if we use it for classification task, as he said, you mm -hmm. give it a lot of data and it will classify what is the probability of this data point belonging to a certain class. You know? So what are the real implications of deep learning? I think that's what everyone will be more interested in. Like, where are the real world examples of deep learning? Um, so in the back end, uh, deep learning has been used for a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. So if you want to talk uh, for the natural language processing, um, there is a deep learning based uh, method called transformer. And um, so these have been, these have become popular in last uh, two, three years. And what we have is it will, it is a text generation model. So basically this uh, deep learning model has been fed with so much of text data from documents, from articles, from speech. So now if you have any task that you want to do, you can ask it to do and it will generate the text uh, uh, corresponding to it basically. So is it like how Google Translate and DeepL and stuff works? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. DeepL mm -hmm. definitely has uh, has uh, some language model, uh, deep learning based language model behind it. Mm -hmm. And uh, the GPT-2 has a couple of billions of parameters. Mm -hmm. And um, it, the text that is being generated by this is uh, very much close to what humans can do. So for example, if you will ask some question, uh, it, it, it will provide you some uh, answer. So if you give it a huge book, it will provide you a summary of the book. Mm -hmm. So it can do things like this. So it's a generative model. So it will generate text basically. Mm -hmm. Okay. Another example of this could be a photo classification. Like uh, if you want to detect uh, you have a dog in the photo or not. Uh, mm -hmm. So it, it can do things like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Isn't that what computer vision is like detecting? Yes. So computer vision is originally um, a set of study in the in uh, AI in general, mm -hmm. where you try to understand the information in a picture or a video. So mm -hmm. anything that is visual or 3D uh, data sets. Um, 
until deep learning came we were we had other methods to do these type of tasks so um when you want to let's say detect a face you're going to check what are the features of the face that you can um, these these are called descriptors right the nose can be a descriptor the ears can be a descriptor so they are handcrafted originally in computer vision and then you try to see if it it comes in um, if it it is present in your image or not so this was being done manually before but this limits a lot uh, what you can do with it because you need to handcraft every feature now uh, there is a sub, uh, there is a class of deep learning methods called uh, convolutional neural networks which mm -hmm. basically work on images and what they do is um they learn these uh, features from the images mm -hmm. and um they detect the object for you so for example um when you say deep learning it's called deep learning because it has a lot of different layers of um of these uh, small units of equations let's say so let's say if you start at the first layer it will learn a very small feature like a line you know a horizontal line or a vertical line or something like that if you go forward it will actually assemble these small features into a bigger one so you will find the nose you know and then you'll see a bit of an eye and as as you go towards the ending layers it will reconstruct the whole face and uh -huh. then uh, you can see the whole face and that's how it gets uh, detected so all this putting together of small features and uh, reconstructing the whole thing is something um, that these uh, networks do yeah so before we move on to to uh, next part of the interview and not bore any more people with uh, deep learning <laughs> just so that i understood correctly i i will try to sum up so basically we talked about ai and you said machine learning is sort of a subset of ai then we talked about data science like the study which involves mathematics statistics and even domain knowledge and then you also mentioned uh, something about deep learning which we talked about and uh, i think the last example which you gave was very interesting like it starts from learning about a line and then it can almost recreate a face or something maybe that's why it's called deep learning because it's going really deep to understand something yeah it's pretty close to the actual reason the reason it's uh, so originally um you you know this single unit that i said uh, of uh, the equation mm -hmm. um there's something called support vector machines it's a subset of machine learning methods so okay. these individual units were being used basically before mm -hmm. now what they did is they um align this uh, support vector machines uh, in a, in um, one after the other mm -hmm. and they start building layers mm -hmm. and the first layer has a couple of S S this svms uh, together and then mm -hmm. they go on building layers so the, if you have more than one layer it's a deep learning <laughs> Okay. <laughs> because it's 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 going deep yeah and i actually forgot to talk about the robotics and automation um right. the reason they always give this example is because <laughs> it uses a lot of machine learning and ai methods for example if the robot wants uh, to move forward right first it needs to see what is in front of it mm -hmm. so when a robot uh, either takes a photo of a place it has sensors in it so it will either take a photo or send a lidar to get, capture the 3d around it and then it will have ai inside it to localize okay what is in front of me do i have a box here do i have a table here can i is it a chair over there so what is this a lidar is before you move forward <laughs> so okay i'll get back to that mm -hmm. uh, lidar is basically um, a sensor which mm -hmm. will uh, which has a light based on light and it will throw a light at a certain intensity and uh, capture um, 
the distance so it will get a 3d map of the surroundings basically aha uh-huh. i think i think uh, i i am in the market to buy roomba because mm-hmm. i'm super lazy to use my vacuum and mm-hmm. and i realize in market there are a lot of roombas with lidar in it mm-hmm. and they tell incredible. that yeah and they can map your room so that they don't repeat like a dumb robot i think we are talking about same lidar right yeah yeah absolutely mm-hmm. it's the same lidar so in it's fact, the ipad same has it now ah yeah. okay and <laughs> autonomous cars you know Uh, except uh-huh. Elon Musk. Uh, Elon Musk is pretty much uh, fixed on the opinion that they are only going to use image uh, images and not lidars for some mm-hmm. reason because uh, because you know humans can see and then make decisions. So his opinion is we should be able to do that. Um, but all the other autonomous car companies have a combination of lidar radar signals. and um there's one more and images of course yeah mm-hmm. so okay going back to the robotics um so first is localization of object then you have motion planning so if the robot wants to get from one part of the room to the other it needs to know first the map of the of the of the pla- of the site and then it will actually map its route so mm-hmm. the okay. motion planning is also being done by that and that is why given that all parts of robot uh, movement Mm-hmm. has an ai component that's why it becomes a bit synonymous mm-hmm. uh, sometimes and the most exciting robotics project which is based on machine learning is actually object picking so if you look at a hand of a robot it has 6 degrees of freedom yeah it can move in any way and if it you make a mistake it can actually kill you if it just goes uh, back and <laughs> forth by mistake so it's something very important basically um so until now robots have been programmed in a certain way so if it needs to pick up a certain object from the conveyor belt it will pick up it knows what is the grip of the hand of the robot that it needs to take yeah so this is always programmed hard coded in the computer it's not something that the robot makes decision on its own now we have a robot hand uh, challenge let's say unofficial challenge going around who can solve this problem first so now if you put any type of object in front of the robot the robot should know how to pick it up even if the grip is 1 mm wrong you could lose the object from the hand and if it's 1 mm tight you can break the object so there are a lot of startups um, that are trying to build these uh, <clears throat> these uh, generic hands and i think it's uh, pretty interesting yeah we have some in in france and here um, who are working with farmers for robots in the farms that they can go around and pick up tomatoes you know <laughs> um mm-hmm. and, and learn how to do it and then once they solve the generic problem then they can have the application of this to you know any kind of uh, picking object yeah i mean farmers reminded me i was reading that uh, there is a lot of potential of artificial intelligence in farming and agriculture in general some people like to call it agriculture uh, 4.0 so basically there we will have almost like no nano robots or something mm-hmm. which we can literally put in the seeds mm-hmm. and and they will tell you exactly on an app or something what is the exact time Mm-hmm. to harvest them what is the exact time when they need water and and a system can be so automated that the water pipe would also be connected to it and then they will automatically turn on even the water pipe and then turn it off when the water is enough <laughs> so that seems like a good future to me mm-hmm. of course it's taking away a lot of farmers job unfortunately <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah 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 i think the the fact that it can be applied to a lot of different causes is uh, quite interesting 
Yeah, but you have started to understand the theme in general after all these examples, right? We always take a field that was existing in computer science. Shivani talked about um, computer vision, where we were describing the features that if I want to identify your face, your mm-hmm. nose, your ears, your lips, these are going to be the descriptors. Then came deep learning and we told it, hey, why don't you learn it for me? And mm-hmm. I don't tell you. Same in the case of translation or natural language processing or NLP in short that we discussed. So it has a history of its own. How do you process, how do humans process yeah. language? And then so, we told to deep learning, why don't you do it for me? And the example you gave as well in the farmers, yeah. farmers were doing it. Yeah, I'll give sure. you one, uh, just a pointer on this. It's a very good point. So before, you know, when we want to pro- make computer do something, we need to program it. And in order to program it, we break it down into a certain mathematical format. Okay, right. it, it should be ifs or there should be loops and it should be done. And just not to, not to interfere your thought, mm-hmm. just so that people who don't do programming, it's very much like cooking, mm-hmm. basically. Do you want to make a recipe? This is like the first thing we learned <laughs> when we start learning programming that consider it like, a, consider yourself like a chef and you have a recipe and you are going to break it down in steps. So basically mm-hmm. that's what we do in programming. Now, Shivan, you can carry on. So there are so many complex complex tasks that cannot be broken down like this. For example, we do have, you know, the chess system that was made uh, to, to decide, okay, what is the next step to take? And, you know, this chess AI system actually beat the world champion and we have stories around it. But there are other games for which this is not possible because the number of potential moves is so explosive that it is um, not going to be possible for the system to go through if and else in real time, you know. Mm-hmm. So for for these type of cases, you can't really program a computer. So what you want is you want a system to learn to program itself, to learn to code itself. And definitely, um, that is exactly what we are doing. We have a system. You don't tell what to do. You just show the data. And it learns how to do it itself. But how are we making these systems? So if we are not able to program a system which we can, which can do this massive, uh, you know, complicated equation solving, how are we creating systems which can in turn do it by themselves? How does so, that work? So um, as I said, the deep learning model that I'm, I'm going back to deep learning example. So mm-hmm. as I said that it has a lot of parameters, like billions of them. And it will learn the patterns and the moves and store that information abstractly in in, in its uh, model parameters, basically. Mm -hmm. So when you show um, these models this type of data, it learns how to, um, let's say, tune itself to the task at hand. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly the model training is. Um, Since you have so many moves and you don't know which is the best option, you want to detect patterns. And with these um, parameters, you can actually store that information in an abstract way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. There comes another question and we were talking right before the interview as well. If the computer is learning all these rules by itself, do we know what are these rules or is there, because uh, uh, to put the context better, uh, Vishwajit was asking me about the project that I'm doing and it revolves around detecting humans in general and drawing boxes, right? And after a certain limit, I did not have any answer that how is my machine doing it? So there is a certain black box that I hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is it, yeah, is yeah. it a thing of, it's an already known concept in people who study it, but according to you, is it something that is uh, a point of concern or it's just normal? Um, 
I think it is a point of concern depending on the application, right? Mm -hmm. Now, let's say um, if you want a machine learning system to mimic a physical concept, let's say a concept of flow or a drag or of any fluid dynamic physics concept, yeah? Um, you can train a model to mimic that and reduce the computational time. The question is, it is still useful to know how the Newton equations work because mm -hmm. having that breakdown will help you understand uh, and make a lot of deductions, which you cannot do by just a model, you know? So in fundamental sciences, for example, it is quite important for us to understand the how it is working. In that case, AI is not useful, but mm -hmm. then there are certain tasks that are so computationally intensive, and then you just want to, let's say, replace it with a black box, and you just care about the final output, it's okay, you can use it. But um, uh, going forward from that, there is one more challenge on training black boxes. So sometimes, we, uh, if so anyone who has worked with uh, bl uh, these AI methods, they know they hit, hit this uh, roadblock, that you know how it, is work it works, you know how to train it, but how it is actually learning and storing the information, you don't know. So sometimes you, it is very difficult to trace back the behavior of the model. Like, yes, last time we had like, I had a pipe in the, in the data and it was detecting it as a valve. And I'm like, why is it doing this, you know? So to detect this, you can make assumptions and go through the whole process, but exactly, you don't know. So that is why um, there is a lot of research going on these days. And there are actually a lot of PhD students in France working on this. Um, it's called understanding and the inter interpretability of AI systems. So mm -hmm. they are trying to find ways to make the systems more interpretable because if they are not interpretable, um, mm -hmm. first, it's difficult to make them. And second, um, it is very difficult to use them or understand uh, something, you know? Not to, not to go back in the dark uh, <laughs> conversation of fear with AI, but this isn't this one of part of fears. So to me, yes, uh, yes, yes. when I think about a black box, right, that's fine. I am happy if it's doing simple tasks, but now we are applying artificial intelligence to complex things like self-driving car. And now if we are saying, okay, there is almost like a black box, then we also don't know how it's going to react in a certain situation. So for example, you are training your self-driving car that if you see a human, or if you see a cow or whatever, then stop, right? And then most of the time it does stop, but because of this unpredictable nature, isn't it that maybe sometime it will just gonna hit a wall or something? It has How are happened. You make sure? No, no, it, it has <laughs> happened actually. With in some autonomous car companies, we've had failures with the type of data on which the the car was trained and there were accidents. So it has happened. So the only way to manage this is exhaustive testing. Like you test it as much as possible. Yeah, because it does enable to do things we otherwise would not do, but there is a bit of risk to it. So as long as you test it under all environment, in all environments, all conditions, it can, yeah. So we, we need to have regulations around the thresholds of uh, such things, yeah. And possibly a little counter opinion, and it's going it's going to be a little bit controversial as well. But I think we put a, a little too much stress on 
the tools that are developed these days in any ways, right? So let's say you want to apply for a German driving license. Mm -hmm. You would have to go through a rigorous test. Right. So, but how rigorous is that test, right? You're going to do it for what? Two days, three days max. Mm -hmm. You're going to have trial runs five to six times. Maybe if you fail 10 times, not more than that for sure. Mm -hmm. When a self-driving car is trained, it's trained on a data for hundreds of thousands of times. Mm -hmm. And the chances of a human making a mistake are also there. We mm -hmm. cannot ignore that a human can also hit a wall. Mm -hmm. It's just that it's easy to blame a piece of code because it's easy to demonize something that is not among us. But, mm -hmm. but don't you think there is a, mm -hmm. I, I totally agree with you. Mm -hmm. And uh, just, to, just to be a devil's advocate yeah. here, don't you think that the problem lies that humans mm -hmm. can make a mistake totally, but th they are also conscious Mm -hmm. and ai has not reached that state mm -hmm. so if ai does not know what to what to do in a certain situation mm -hmm. it might do something unpredictable right mm -hmm. and that's where some of the fears come from yes what do you say to that uh, i mean this comes boils down to the effect of developing in an ethical way and mm -hmm. deploying in an ethical way right so everyone yes. Everyone has a different opinion on that. And I would love to listen yours. Like you are running a company that is based on AI. So when you go yeah. on about a project, how do you evaluate that whether what you're doing is ethical enough or not? Personally, just for you, not you're not speaking on behalf of your company. I'm just saying what Shivani as a person thinks. Um, basically, this should be whatever we are doing, what are the implications of it, right? Um, you need to understand that if you're building something, how it would be used. And would it be used for, let's say, training people? Does it save lives? Does it help or bring efficiency to the existing systems? So that is the way to evaluate it, first of all. And so if I give you a bit more background about uh, what I do, I, I, mm -hmm. we, what we do is basically we build 3D digital models for large existing industrial sites. It can be chemical plant, oil and gas, nuclear, um, manufacturing plant. So for all of these plants, we are using AI to reconstruct the 3D because mm -hmm. most of these sites, they do not have a 3D referential model. The, the ones they have are the ones that were designed years ago and does not reflect what is on the site. So what we want to do is we want to take this LiDAR scan of the place mm -hmm. and you perform a detection, object detection in these LiDARs and reconstruct the 3D from that. Now, this is the technical challenge. Now, when we think of it, whether we should do it or not, or even if th there is a business or not around this, we need to see how this would be used. What are the use cases? How people will use this? So first of all, um, we, what we found, the first use case is that a lot of these sites, they do not know what do they have on in there. Sometimes there are five valves on the site and they just have four written, you know? So the possibility of an equipment failure is huge. And this is exactly how hazardous uh, situations happen on these sites, because mm -hmm. all of them are not being maintained. So this was the first use case. The second use case is that um, from the climate change point of view that we said, um, more, the whole energy industry and even the chemical and manufacturing, they're moving towards more climate friendly settings. Mm -hmm. So they are trying to replace the existing equipments with something that generates less carbon. So you need, there is a lot of revamp. There is a lot of operations that we need, engineering that needs to happen. So to plan all of this, you need the 3D twin. Because right now, I, I'll send somebody on the site 
and they'll go and take the measurements and write information and come back. Whereas these are hazardous sites. If you have the 3D, you can do this directly on the model, you know? So I think to summarize this whole point, to decide whether to do this or not, you need to first see that if you succeed, how, what are the implications in the real world for it? And that should drive the decision of whether to do it or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and on that on that topic of you working on the 3D models and, and what your company do, I mean, we have talked a lot today about, you know, machines and referring to us as humans and, and, and training. It's a training data set almost seems like training a dog in some ways. I am curious how it has been because ultimately we as humans are unfortunately biased and, and have a lot of, uh, let's say, not necessarily always feeling of equality when it comes to certain things. So how has been your experience working as a female founder yourself in this tech world and particularly in this difficult domain of AI? And correct me if I'm wrong, but which is a very male centric. I mean, I work in tech, so I know how much biasness unfortunately there is. So I am just curious about your story. How do you feel that? Uh, this is an interesting question. So definitely there is a challenges around the representation of uh, females in uh, tech or general STEM industries. Mm -hmm. And uh, coincidentally enough, I have a call tomorrow where we are going to talk to teenage girls of why they should pursue science and why it's interesting and how it can actually change the world. Traditionally, as you said, it's male-centric. Um, that does have, so that does lead to certain preconceptions uh, in the minds of people, how they mm -hmm. view it probably. Luckily enough, until now, I have not faced myself directly um, some form of um, discrimination based on that. Mm -hmm. uh, also probably because it just doesn't register in my mind. Mm -hmm. uh, because when I look at a person, whether I should work with her or not, whether I should work with him or not, it's not about the, the gender it just doesn't register I just look at the skills the capacity the interest the curiosity and then we decide whether you're going to work together or not you know mm -hmm. so I think um, to be honest as uh, the career will go ahead uh, and when you will go to different management positions we are definitely going to face this mm -hmm. because um, this problem hasn't been totally solved in society Mm -hmm. uh, about the from the perception point of view and also the representation point of view, um, but I think what we need to what my advice personally would be to all the females who are facing discrimination would be that anytime somebody is discriminating you, you don't try to just react to it. You try to uh, be more prob uh, solution oriented. Yeah, um, what I mean by that is that. What I mean by that is you try to uh, change the perception of the person without being defensive or angry about it. Otherwise, um, it will not change because in the long term, people will see your capabilities. So first, empower yourself, improve your skills and uh, be motivated. And, you know, that's how you can go forward. And as far as the naysayers are concerned, uh, don't, don't pay attention. And if you are being discriminated, speak up. Don't just let it uh, sabotage your mm -hmm. career, but do speak up, you know, at, at that time. Yeah. So respond, not react. Voila, exactly. <laughs> respond, not react. 
but you you said you presented your side of this right i would be also interested in the other side so when you enter the room uh, going to take interview of someone to hire for your company or not you are least bothered about their gender not just they being male or female but in in, in the entire gender spectrum yeah but when you enter a room have you faced that or felt that air of that bias against you hmm. um yes so when you enter a room they don't expect you to be first the tech person they don't secondly expect you to be let's say co-founding co-founded the mm, company for example right. so um it does take a bit of adjustment time <laughs> uh once you introduce yourself and there's a bit of adjustment and then then they when then they get into the flow and then it's okay um but i would say especially sometimes you know when you have certain investors that you're going to mm-hmm. so i have seen that if it's only female founded company where both the co-founders are female mm-hmm. sometimes they do face challenges in raising funds um, mm-hmm. that has happened i i would not deny that mm-hmm. um at the same time there are a lot of uh, conversations around it and we are, and uh, you know people are trying to promote female only companies because if you look at the vc world which is venture capital world which funds these startups mm-hmm. less than 2% of them i think are female so right. the fact that there are so many so few female founders is a bit of a question that we need to address so i come uh, basically i was part of an accelerator called entrepreneur first which of which one of the co-founders is actually female mm-hmm. and uh, they are working a lot on this in order to try to bring more females first into the stem then into computer science and then into the startup so they're starting ground up and then working more towards uh, changing the whole scenario yeah yeah i mean you being co-founder yourself is a step in that direction in my opinion as well like yes. it's it's and top of that being a person of color living in yes. a majority white country right so i i think it's like you have cha- <laughs> layers of challenges i mean i can only uh, say for myself which we are very much privileged being male being working yeah. in tech being brown is very privileged i would say but of course there are challenges of being just yeah. person of color living in europe uh, for sure yeah so. I, i go by the uh, you know th- that indians are good at tech uh, so that just one perception <laughs> that kind of saves me sometimes but yeah yeah but like just to maybe lighten the mood a little bit and before going towards like summarizing and uh, ending this lovely conversation i would just want to know another aspect of the personality that you have which would be in the sense that you're a founder you are working ai all the time and that <laughs> consumes majority of your life uh, however is there any field of interest that you have or that you want to explore other than that or you find yourself doing that yeah absolutely um i think initially when we did the startup we were very much into you know full time hustle mode but i think in the long term to be sustainable we need balance in life to do something that you like mm-hmm. so um, i spend a lot of time doing music so i play flute and mm-hmm. um, that's amazing to like you know improve that skill just jam with friends and it's pretty nice and i love reading so i love reading a lot of different books uh, from philosophy to non fiction to fiction and uh, yeah stuff like that okay i i would uh, before as as uh, dev said before we wrap up this lovely conversation because there is so much to ask yeah. like i have so many millions of questions in my head about ai its ethics and its future and everything else but we cannot unfortunately ask about everything 
But what we can definitely ask your opinion on is, as someone who has not just studied artificial uh, artificial intelligence, but rather creating also a company uh, on this field, how do you see future of AI looks like? I think it's it's gonna explode even more. The reason is. Um, initially, when Devendra asked me that why it has picked up right now, I somehow didn't answer that. We moved on to something else. It's it's mainly because of the computation power and the data we have right now, mm-hmm. right? So if for any field to uh, succeed, you need the tools for it and also people for it. And the fact that AI is getting so much of popularity, um, there are so many more people trained on it and that is going to push forward and it's going to open a lot of different opportunities in terms of um, what it can do it's going to touch different domains that have not even been digitalized and Mm -hmm. you know they're on in that direction so um, I think it's it's good and we are going also more towards generalizable AI not just task specific so Mm -hmm. trying to build something that is more usable and also we are going more towards small data. What I mean by that is until now, these deep learning methods, for example, they, eat, they need a lot of data to work. Mm-hmm. That is why people have focused. There's a subset of community that is working on this and they are focusing on not using so much data, but working more on the algorithm so that you can do the same performances with less amount of data because you can have... Uh, like Google and Facebook and these companies can have so much data. But for for example, if you want in a medical application, you're not going to find thousands of infected patients for certain types of diseases. So for except if it's coronavirus. Uh, good one. <laughs> so <laughs> that is why I think small AI, small data AI, is also something that uh, that is becoming popular. Yeah. Would you say self-driving car is sort of an application of general AI? Uh, no, it still says uh, task specific, because when you look at the task of driving, you can break it down into first uh, the localization, the perception, and then decision making. And they are very specific tasks that, okay, you need to drive on a road. So it's still not a general intelligence, I would say. The self-driving car cannot, let's say, understand a beautiful Sufi poem and make a conclusion from it, for example. It is going to work for the task it has been designed for. So it's still, mm. uh, you know, uh, not a general one. To basically take drunk people there home without without driving. That it, right? it would solve. This, I'm sure. very, <laughs> very much looking forward to that. Uh, joking aside, when do you guys think, and this is my question to both of you, when do you guys think uh, something like self-driving cars will actually become a reality? Um, okay, in my opinion, self-driving cars on a fixed highway has been solved. Like mm-hmm. it has been long solved. Yeah. Tesla, right? A Tesla, mm-hmm. uh, VMO, and there are a lot of other uh, self-driving car companies, but mm-hmm. it, it is not a problem. The problem is they don't work well in random environments. Like so in, yeah. it, exactly. So <laughs> if this car has been trained on roads in US, or in Europe, it's never going to find something on the road like, uh, you know, a random cycle passing by or a cow on the street, you know. Mm-hmm. So you need to train these cars in an env- environment in which it is going to drive. So this is a very difficult task, actually. And that, and imagine the number of amount of context you're going to need and collect and train these uh, models on for them to be working everywhere. So I think 
going from highway to a generic environment is the challenge that they are working on right now yeah in my thing in my head like the first thing that needs to be resolved is to come to a common agreement that when do you call it it's a fully autonomous driving car yeah there, long there has been these levels of autonomy l1 l2 to l5 yeah which sometimes to me don't make the absolute of sense because if i have to put driving on indian roads on that context it would be l7 or l8 <laughs> it's it's far beyond the comprehension of what they have thought l1 to l5 is so first there needs to be that and we are not anywhere close to that okay. getting varied minded smart intellectual humans to agree on one thing mm -hmm. is far more difficult in general and history has taught us that as well in talking about technology where are we and if we go by these levels i cannot predict future for sure but mm -hmm. still it's a long way to go um, it's 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 going to be solved given the amount of effort that is being put into it mm -hmm. mm, but we'll take some time yeah. i i'm 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 asking this question because i think we are especially me and dev we are sitting in munich which is uh, almost like a automotive capital i mean it is for for europe for sure mm -hmm. right so yes. hands yeah. down all these companies which have head offices like within few kilometers from where i live like bm bmw or audi and if you go a bit a bit north then even uh, daimler for example who owns mercedes and stuff they are all hiring hundreds of machine learning engineer ai engineer so i feel like oh they need so many people so i'm sure this technology will be in the market in i don't know 5 to 10 years mm. yeah it's possible is it's possible, possible but you should given also the see given the push around it yeah no no go ahead no that's that's a, <laughs> it, it is quite possible but there are challenges that need to be solved partially it's already solved but um it's it's definitely possible yeah i mean see it from a different perspective these have been dominating the global market the audis the bmws for decades mm -hmm. and until recently these this entire industry was a, a mechanical engineering dominated industry yeah. or an aerodynamics dominated uh, industry so there are a lot of engineers in that and we never saw that influx possibly because we were too young or mm. we were never into that news now these companies if they want to compete to what is essentially a very software focused company tesla mm -hmm. they have to entirely restructure the way they work they think and then yeah. they progress about it so it's about long term yeah in long yeah. term it is going to be there and 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 that has to work and at the same time i would also comment on the fact that even other than autonomous cars these companies have a lot of applications of machine learning so i have a friend who is working in um, bmw mm -hmm. and um, he's working on uh, testing how to increase the speed of um these race cars you know because even a bit mm. of drag of air that can be changed or something that can adapt to the drag around it um this it can improve the speed a lot so mm. this is one example of the application if you have an engine in the car and you want it to be more efficient uh you can use a certain you can use ai system database system to change that so there there is a possibility they are working on their own uh, autonomous car systems and there is a possibility that they are trying to make their existing workflows even better or different yeah mm -hmm. yeah and uh before we wrap up i'm going to ask both of you like what are the 
most practical things you guys see we will see in this 10 years so just a prediction of course it can be wrong mm-hmm. we are not we are not going to blame you guys so don't worry <laughs> so first shivani what are your let's say prediction what we are going what will be the most common applications of ai which we will see in this coming decade um yes the autonomous car <laughs> as mm-hmm. we spoke about okay. already okay okay and um i think there's a lot of work going on on uh, generative models so mm-hmm. that's something that has come up uh, in recent years so what i mean by that is the model can generate something uh, data similar to what you give yeah so for example um, one of the applications that happened was uh, there was this uh, politician in haryana and uh, in order to do the you know uh, like uh, let's say seduce the uh, population of a certain district he used these generative models to mimic their accent even though he didn't even speak the language and ah. then he used this in the campaigning uh, format so you know the, these type of generative formats are, are very interesting so there is you know the mit course on deep learning if you look at the introduction it's the professor amini um he used uh, obama's face Mm-hmm. to pro, uh, to you know introduce the students to this course so basically he put obama's face on top of his and made obama talk in his own voice to do the job so you see this is a generation of uh, this so it's a deep fakes basically you are talking about deep fakes yeah that's interesting for sure and and also um it's it, it's more not only going to transform or make things more efficient it is actually going to change the whole workflow mm-hmm. so what i mean by that is for example if you start having let's say 3d for daily maintenance and operations the existing tools will become redundant you'll need to build new tools to actually support this ecosystem um so there is an element on the algorithmic side but to actually deploy these things on in real world uh, there is a lot of operational changes that needs to happen on the field and that requires the support of everybody else you know right. so i think um, we are going to see more and more systems that are being deployed in real world and not mm-hmm. only stay in tech companies or just the research community research part yeah and they went same question to you what are your predictions uh I'll, it would reflect a bit of my bias in mm-hmm. in one of the subdomains where i feel ai's uh, application is the most important or interesting to me which is healthcare mm-hmm. and the one thing that i would love to see or i could see that it would happen within this decade would be uh, predictive surgery planning mm-hmm. to just put a brief life light on that that whenever there is a complicated surgery involved let's say some removing someone's gall bladder mm-hmm. so there are 6 to 7 stages into that cutting the gut and then taking out the liver i don't know exact names um, mm-hmm. unfortunately uh, but sometimes depending on human to human the complications change and it's very difficult to schedule the next time when could be the next surgery within the same day uh-huh. so to real time being able to analyze which stage of the surgery is being going on at this point mm-hmm. and then to be able to say that okay it would take 20 minutes more than it was thought or 20 minutes less than what it was mm-hmm. so predictive surgery planning it's also utilizes operations research and other field of computer science mm-hmm. then targeted drug discovery mm-hmm. uh, with the recent solution to alpha fold okay uh, where we yes. somehow happen to solve code and code solve um how proteins fold which okay. also reveals a new way of looking at creating new drugs okay so these are the two things that excite me the most at this point 
I knew you were into trucks, but did not knew you were connecting AI with trucks. <laughs> That's <laughs> a different level of high. Okay. No, no. Joking aside, uh, no one asked, so I'm gonna say by myself. Mm-hmm. I am very much looking forward to also like how we can use AI. Yeah, somewhat similar to what you said with healthcare, but also like when it comes to our brain, when it comes to like mental health and and things like that. Mm-hmm. Like maybe we can use. and correct me if i'm wrong because i am ai illiterate as mm-hmm. i like to say so but i think for example if therapist start using some sort of ai system to mm-hmm. feed them a lot hours and hours and hours of recorded therapy sessions maybe those systems can help these human therapist to predict and help in analyzing uh mental uh, mental health yeah. problems or even provide solutions for them i don't know um for how they are working what they're working on right now is that when we go for therapy for example um the situation is that because of emotional distress our normal you know cognitive functions are being um let's say not functioning the way they usually would so during one on one sessions we are going through a lot of conversations and then doing certain activities to regain our capacities right so right now um these uh, the therap- what they're working on is that they're building these systems um to first detect what situation the patient is in and then uh provide them with certain task or tools to do that would help them recover so it is a way of a small tiny replacement of a therapist if you don't have them at hand and this is very similar to what do they do for learning for kids you know mm. like uh, we are in education there is a huge application of ai so when you are teaching primary school students right now how does it happen you have a classroom all the te- students are being taught the same thing at the same pace by one teacher Mm-hmm. this is not personalized but mm-hmm. when you have an ai system it will adopt to the capacities of the student and uh-huh. it it will identify what this child needs does it need to work on this area and it will adapt and teach the child more on that so personalization even in education or in medicine or in therapy is something that's a very good contribution you know i think we need better politicians who who can sell these things rather than just creating fear of ai because these things mm-hmm. make me very excited about the future of ai yeah, yeah. it's mm-hmm. maybe we won't be able to have better politicians but if <laughs> ai somehow is able to educate to the lowest common denominator in the society right. we might have educated voters who would be able to differentiate between bullshit or no bullshit yeah. and i think i think i would like to mention that of mm-hmm. course we are already this podcast has been going pretty long so we definitely would like to or personally because i'm really interested in intersection of politics and ai yeah. i think that would be a very interesting and fascinating topic which we would like to cover in future for sure uh, but for now i guess instead of bifurcating way too much and because like i it would be difficult for me to contain my excitement if you just <laughs> throw in one another term from the field and i would have right. to ask a question so i would have to conclude it here sadly mm-hmm. but i thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed your explanation sometimes better than what i have read in the textbooks so it's it's so nice of you to take out time for us and explain uh basics to it you mentioned at the end that you feel like you're an ai illiterate but i feel that after this podcast <laughs> you should not i hope that you don't say that at least after listening to the recording um but other than that thanks once again shivani
for spending this time with us and having this so so intellectually lovely conversation thank you so much it was my pleasure talking to both of you yeah Yeah. uh, no thanks again as devin said (laughs) so thanks again for uh, for taking your precious time to clear some doubts clear some fear and also giving like a hope at the end what ai can do so thanks again no problem you know it's it's always up to the individual so that that that's the motto we should go by we have recorded yet another episode uh on a topic that i would say i was a bit familiar with yeah <laughs> and you were i mean you were familiar with it as right, well right yeah Sure. I do feel good about it because in general, I do feel good about discussing that subject. Mm-hmm. I kind of have to, otherwise I'll be living a very miserable life. <laughs> <laughs> but what about you? Yeah, no, I totally enjoyed it. I mean, of course, as you said, I am also somewhat familiar with it. Nowhere close to what Shivani, our guest, or you are because you guys, mm-hmm. so she has studied it for many, many years, her master's, her PhD, now doing her company on that uh, domain itself and you are spending your every day from last two to three years on this field but having said that uh, it was very insightful for me I mean there were things which I even though working in tech did not knew about Mm -hmm. so it was yeah it was very interesting and I think she explained things very well yeah I I loved it it as well yeah Mm -hmm. I mean it's also important that it's uh, to me personally uh, that it, it feels more like a conversation Mm-hmm. And this is like, okay, to put it into perspective, rather, uh, if this was a conversation that was held at my dinner table, mm-hmm. I think I I would have equally enjoyed it. I right. mean, that's the bar at which I think I should, I, I compare a recording, but what about you? Yeah, isn't that our goal anyways, yeah, right, yeah. with this podcast so yeah. that people can learn something while they're eating, while they're cooking or something, and rather than making it a tutorial. I mean, some of our listeners has even said that, hey, why long form? <laughs> because we are very conversational, at mm-hmm. least two of us, and I yeah. think that's where we will bring the most value if we just talk the way we will do on dinner table, and maybe our listeners hopefully can feel the same way. Yeah, and also it's like, it's easy to explore a topic in an hour, hour, 20 minute duration, then to form a tutorial video uh, and then edit it properly and then pack it everything in 10 to 15 minute, like a review of something. Like we, I don't think with many technologies that we are going to discuss or we have discussed, either of us is in a position to give a review of that mm-hmm. because it's it just doesn't substantiate into reaching the least, lowest common denominator least common denominator mm-hmm. it's more on the side that okay uh, your our voices are in your ear and even if you snooze out for a couple of seconds you would not lose out on the essence of the knowledge that you're supposed to get right and i think especially with this topic it was very important yeah. that we we have a long long conversation I mean, long is a relative word, but uh, talking to her for one hour felt like five minutes because there was so much, so much to discuss. Yeah. Uh, but but for our listeners, I mean, we are planning to talk in future a lot more about different applications of AI and yeah. maybe use each episode to go in details of it. I mean, if there is any anything in particular that you would want us to cover in general, 
just reach out to us in any way or form like on twitter instagram anything mm-hmm. uh, and we'll try to respond every one of you at this point at least we can promise that we could respond every one of for you for sure uh, and it don't even have to be about technology when we yeah. say technology yes maybe we can give a wrong idea because we work in tech quote unquote like computer science True. and programming related thing technology can be anything like for example mechanical engineering in a car that is also sort of a technology maybe i'm stretching it too much no 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 it's perfectly it is technology like right. we are differentiating information technology as a sub branch from the general technology exactly. that exists exactly right? so it is by every measure of extent technology so, architecture to me is very technical in its own domain so anything out and loud wide that you would have heard anywhere on in your family on social media anywhere or you use or yeah. you just interact in a very subconscious level but you you thought you never thought that oh what are implications of it and then maybe listening to our podcast made you think that way please reach out to us i mean doing our episode on for example wearables was just that we use health bands yeah. constantly so why not think and talk about how they actually work so just just do that and we would be happy to receive your comments in and like comments critique suggestion anything works okay so with that so we are done all right